Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, everybody. Happy Hump Day once again. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. It's a new week. It means a new edition of the Front Row and a special week because we don't have to wait until Saturday for Florida State football, only until Friday night against Boston College. We'll talk about that matchup with the Eagles uh, as this program moves along. But, uh, Keith, first, the pleasantries. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. How about that kickoff on Friday? It'll, it'll only end up being, what, 16 hours Earlier than the kickoff we just had on Saturday. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. It was. Uh, it is a short week, though. In retrospect, even though they were not related, an eleven thirty a.m. start last week did give FSU a little bit more rest than if they had played an evening game. And uh, so two and zero are the Knowles, and uh, there, there's a lot to talk about this week. We're we're going to get into to cost of attendance uh, in a, in a little bit, and, and we'll kind of peel a couple layers back and and delve into that topic also tim linnefelt will join us our seminoles.com insider and we can go in depth about fsu uh i'm not sure what we can add about Jameis winston that hasn't already been offered in light of that dismal performance on sunday but we can do some of that at some point i'll, I'll pass you'll pass i'll yeah. pass he, he tried but uh, <laughs> it, did, it did not go very well all right all, all that said uh you know a week ago florida state was one and oh they beat texas state and we really couldn't find fault with very much save for the punting game, uh, well, the special teams in general. We knew that a couple of those elements of the special teams would get cleaned up, uh, and they did. The, the punting game is the punting game. It didn't get cleaned up. But now we can nitpick a lot more because all of a sudden you look at that first half and Florida State couldn't get out of its own way and save for Dalvin Cook – who is apparently not mortal as a running back based on that performance, uh, you know, save for that 74-yard run, Florida State's trailing at intermission. So I'll stop there and let you have the mic. Six yards passing in the first half. Uh, Golson was, what, one of nine, one of seven, one of something. Uh, you know, the first half of, of that game is what we expected from the first half of the opening game. And, uh, again, whoever writes the book, and I've not met the guy, says you make your best improvement from game one to game two. Well, I'm sitting there in the first half uh, Saturday going, uh, this obviously is not improvement, and, B, I'm going to shoot the guy that wrote the book because well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I think the book needs an addendum or a, a fresh edition because that book was, was penned back when you had juniors and seniors that were playing, and so you had a veteran group, you made your changes, and you probably did show your most improvement between games one and two. When you've got this much youth, I think it's a roller coaster ride up and down, which is to say they may be perfect on Friday night, and when they come back against Wake Forest after an open week, it may be missed assignment here. I mean, I, I just think that's the way it's going to go. And, and, and the, as we have found out with the people I've talked to, and, and it's been reported, uh, the biggest problem in the game uh, against USF was communication. Not, not missed assignments per se, but communication prior to the snap. They were not able to adjust to the stemming and some of the stunts that South Florida was able to do because South Florida's front seven, mature, had played together, had a good game plan, were, were making a first-year starter at Florida State and a very young offensive line make decisions prior to the snap. And basically it took a half and time in the locker room at halftime to get the adjustments made in the communication so, therefore, the assignments could be made, and you saw a better, much better effort in the second half than you did in the first. Well, and that part is a good – we'll go glasses half full here for a moment. I mean, Florida State's perfect on second-half drives this year. Coach Fisher, in his address to the team after the game on Saturday, uh, really it was, it was more of a pat on the back to the guys. Uh, he, he was proud of them because they took a step. In his mind – and it's true, you don't know how a team's going to handle adversity until you're faced with adversity – now, they'll, they'll face greater adversity, but bottom line, they weren't performing well. They were tied at the half, and they did get it together and finish it. So that's a, a check in the box, at least, for, for accomplishing that. One of the things that's difficult with a young ball club is if they come out and have too much success early, because despite what the coaches try to do, despite what the tape says, you know, you get a little overinflated, and, and your, your opinion of yourself gets a little bit enlarged. So what Jimbo was saying, what you're alluding to, is he was kind of happy, now that the game's won, kind of happy that they struggled. 
that they went through some adversity that they they uh, you know had the they were the recipient of coach Trickett's uh, eloquent instruction particularly at several different times in the first half and they survived it because if they'd have gone in there and won the ball game 80 to nothing you go up to BC you're probably in a worse position than you are now having gone through some difficulty if that makes sense yeah and i thought this is not surprising but when you look at the second half uh, even though dalvin cook stole the show uh, really the second half they started working through what few veterans they have so one drive Bobo Wilson makes a key catch the next drive Kermit Whitfield with a great diving third down catch that keeps it alive uh, and then after that your next best veterans are Travis Rudolph who had some catches in the second half and also Dalvin Cook who, who continued to excel so I mean there, there's really no no place else to turn if you're looking for veterans on that offense and defensively uh, I thought they played very well with a few mistakes uh, obviously the long uh Touchdown was a busted assignment, uh, and and you know, I guess one other time the offense turned the ball over or something. There was a kick return or something, a little bit of a short field for the defense. Uh, but punt think, return, punt return. I, yeah, thank yeah. you, punt return. And I and I I think so. You look at that side of the ball, and you've got to see uh, the improvement that you were looking for. And uh, obviously, we'll get into targeting and uh, and, and the calls. Yeah, yeah, there, we, but, yeah. We need to talk more about but, that because uh, that was yeah. But uh, I was impressed and pleased with the way the defense performed. Yeah, I, I thought especially considering that uh, LaMarcus Brutus went out very early in that game, and he really is the quarterback defensively. And a lot of people don't know that. You, you're down on the sidelines. You've been at practice. You talk to coach. He is a lot more important for a number of reasons than just his ability to line up and yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And, it's, and Trey Marshall has tremendous ability but hadn't been in that spot. And, you know, and, and Tyler Hunter did not move to that spot. He stayed at the star. Tyler might have been more equipped because he played back there last year. But anyway, given all that, and we'll, we'll dissect it in greater detail later, uh, I thought that was a good sign. Jimbo seems incredibly high on Roderick Hoskins right now, so I think you can expect that you're going to see a lot more of Hoskins in the rotation, uh, which means fewer snaps for Northrop, which is probably not a bad thing given, A, he – Played a ton last can year, and B just, is still coming can off. They just knee. make sure they let us know what number Derwin's going to wear. Well, and when I asked that uh, question most recently, it was still sort of up in the air. But I imagine he'll probably be thirty-one. Good. Now I know who that person is, and we'll get him to actually, you know, embroider the James on the back too, so you know who it is. All right. As I mentioned, we're going to talk cost of attendance, which uh, th- those three words have become quite popular in major college athletics over the last year or so, and uh, we're going to take a look at how Florida State. Uh, how it how it affected Florida State, and we'll get somebody who's right in the middle of it, and that's uh, the associate AD for compliance at FSU, Jim Curry. He'll join us momentarily, and uh, instead of X's and O's, we'll we'll talk the X's and O's, I guess, of cost of attendance. That's when we continue on the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Time to move off the field and discuss some cost of attendance uh, implementation, policy, all that sort of thing. Tom Block, Keith Jones, back with you. And uh, we're not the experts on this, so we've got somebody who is. Jim Curry from Florida State joins us. He is the Associate Director of Athletics for Compliance. Jim, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, – we're hoping in the next few minutes that you can just, you know, we'll get a yellow and black cover for the book, and it'll be called Cliff's Notes for Dummies. Yeah, we're going to take a two-year <laughs> subject and uh, do it in 14 minutes. Cost of attendance for dummies. Uh, no, but I think this is important because people are now familiar with the term cost of attendance, but I'm still not sure that everybody knows exactly what that is. So I just with from a simple definition standpoint, what does cost of attendance include? Yeah, thanks, guys. Um you know, when we're talking about cost of attendance, I think the first thing to, to keep in mind is that this is a concept that has been around for quite some time within the higher education setting. And it's applicable to every student at the institution, not just student athletes. It's just uh, has obviously grown in the spotlight and in, in prominence in people's minds, uh, given the you know, correlation with the athletic scholarship. But this uh, number is calculated for every student at the institution um, and it uh, takes into account uh, very generally tuition fees, room board books, academic supplies, um, personal expenses, transportation costs. Um, that's really the things that are captured in, in that number. Uh, one of the things that's important to note is that every institution has the autonomy and discretion to calculate that as they see fit. 
to capture really those estimated costs that are for their particular institution. And that's why you start seeing the differences among institutions, um, and those differences are kind of the source for some of this consternation that now exists. Two, two quick points of clarification. I'll let Keith jump in. When you say transportation, that's not transportation to and from your apartment. That's uh, X amount of trips to and from your hometown or, or expand upon that. And then it, it's the financial aid office at every institution that, that compi- computes this? That's correct. The, the, the latter first. The, the financial aid office does calculate this, uh, at least at our institution, and that's commonplace for institutions across the country. Um, and then and what they do is they'll use student surveys, they'll use data collected from uh, from federal sources to really try to capture true costs for uh, the locale of the institution. Um, to your first question about transportation costs, um, institutions, again, have some discretion to determine uh, how much they want to capture in terms of transportation. And so it, generally we're speaking about round-trip costs from your home to the institution, um, you know, start and end of the terms, what have you. Uh, but there are some institutions that do include a small uh, amount for local transportation once the student is on campus as well. Uh, again, another area for um, institutions to have some discretion in terms of how they calculate cost of attendance. Jim, the, these numbers uh, get thrown around 3000 a year, 4000 a year, 5000 a year. At face value, that, that ne- doesn't necessarily seem like a lot of money. But if, if my numbers are correct, and you, you uh, update us, uh, uh, right at just a little less than $10 million a year is budgeted for scholarships, and $2 million has been budgeted for the full cost of attendance. Are those the, the correct numbers? Yeah, we're a little bit closer to $11.5 million in terms of how much we budget for athletic scholarships here at Florida State. Um, but you're correct in the number that we've uh, allocated or set aside to, to make uh, – uh, to account for the cost of attendance uh, scholarship. We, that that impact for us is going to be around $2 million, what we project. And I think one of the things our listeners need to know and Florida State fans need to appreciate in general is that, uh, that through Stan and through your, your athletics board and, of course, with, with President Thrasher, you, you guys chose to budget the full amount for all athletes, male, female, revenue-generating, non-revenue-generating, I mean, this is an all-in figure. Everybody who is on an athletic grant and aid participates in this, regardless of the sport that they're involved in, correct? That's correct, yeah, and I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, kudos to the ACC because they were at the front of this issue as well, and, and, and really it was the ACC who spent much of the time drafting the legislation that went into place, and, and Florida State was locked up with them the whole way. Um, the minute that this, uh, you know, kind of came into being and we knew it was going to come to fruition that, you know, we, we were right at right there uh, stating our um, our commitment to this for our student-athletes. Um, we've committed ourselves to it for the summer term as well, um, which is why uh, when we when we do our projections and our numbers, it, it's as high as it is um, because we're taking into account the summer term as well where we'll see uh, an impact for our student-athletes as well in a positive way. So um, from the outset of this conversation, we have been fully committed to all 20 of our sports, um, whether that be full scholarship, uh, partial scholarship, men's, women's, um, we're, we're fully committed to this initiative. And, and, and from a mechanical standpoint, uh, as you were pointed out, and Tom appropriately were asking about the, the, the transportation component, there's an, an in-state and an out-of-state component to this, correct? That's correct. Yeah, there, there's, there's a number of different factors that actually will impact um, what your cost of attendance number is, and, and it differs among institutions, but here at Florida State, um, we're looking at graduate, undergraduate, um, residency, in-state, out-of-state, um, and, and then we'll look to see um, if there's uh, uh, where you're living, whether it's on campus, off campus, with your parents, uh, what have you. So those are some of the big determinants in terms of establishing the cost of attendance here at Florida State. So if I, if I go back to an 18-year-old kid from Wildwood, uh, but fast forward to 2015, uh, how much money am I looking at as a football player whose home is Wildwood, Florida, and, and how do I receive that money throughout the year? Yep. So when we're looking at our main campus undergraduate students here at Florida State, um, our in-state students will will see a, a differential of forty five hundred dollars for the over the course of the year, and our out-of-state students will see approximately six thousand dollars over the course of the year. Um, so that's the type of differential we're seeing with this new definition of the athletic scholarship for. 
for those students that are on a full scholarship. Do I show up and get that in cash, or is that a debit card, or is that put in my checking account? How do I physically receive that money? Yep, that is a, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a disbursement. Um, we use direct deposit here at Florida State, so those student-athletes will see uh, that money directly deposited into their bank accounts uh, that they have on file with the institution. Uh, at this point in time, one of the things we've spent a lot of time discussing is what's the most appropriate disbursement frequency and schedule for these monies. Um, and right now, we're, we're looking at once per term. Um, we're not set in that, but we really wanted to have a little bit of prudence and discretion when we, at the outset of this whole thing as we try to wrap our brains around it all. Um, you know, that, that's one of the difficulties in this whole thing is trying to take NCAA legislation and apply it against federal aid regulations um, and, and make sure that we're in the right place there. And so uh, we've pulled some other institutions in the ACC um, we've seen a, a myriad of ways in which people are dispersing funds and at which frequency. Um, so we are certainly not alone in that approach, uh, but it is interesting to see the differing approaches to uh, how schools are dispersing the monies and, and at what frequency. We're talking, of course, with uh, Jim Curry, uh, Associate Athletics Director for Compliance at Florida State University. My last question, and we'll get back to Tom. Uh, as part of this, uh, if, I'm a, if I'm a kid at Florida State and I'm going to get a couple of thousand dollars at one time, I'm sure the university has also spent some time and there's some uh, effort being put into education and budgeting and some of the silly things that we think about. But as a parent, my kids are grown, I've got eight grandchildren. You know, I just don't want somebody handed that amount of money that maybe hasn't seen it before. What are you doing to try to equip the kids to be good stewards with that money and use it effectively? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that because, you know, we've, we've committed ourselves to developing our students not only in the classroom and on the field but for life. And so as we, as we saw this on the horizon and coming down the pipe, um, it, it really gave us an opportunity to revisit what we were doing from a financial literacy perspective. And so this year, uh, going into the fall, we've rolled out, uh, we've spent some sizable amount of funds institutionally to uh, secure um, the knowledge, resources, and expertise of some financial literacy professionals um, and have made that available to our student-athletes. Uh, I like to tell them, you know, we're not going to give you the keys to the car without teaching you how to drive. And uh, these are some lessons that uh, you'll, you'll hopefully retain and, and be able to utilize for life. And so um, we've, we've uh, secured the, the expertise of Dave Ramsey, a renowned uh, financial literacy expert that has some uh, educational resources and tools geared specifically for college students. And some of the resources that we've been able to see already and roll out to our student-athletes, I'm really excited about them because I think we all are really excited about them. Um, and, and hopefully that will be a nice compliment uh, for our student-athletes as they see these additional funds coming their way. I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about the uh, the competitive nature, uh, potentially, of this because there it appears there's some gray area. And, and the first thing, I guess, and I don't think we clarified this, this is optional for institutions, correct? That's correct. Not that anybody that's competing at the in the Big Five, I mean, did, nobody in the Power Five opted to not pay cost of attendance, did they? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Right, but there are some in the group of five that maybe don't have as much revenue that, that they're, they're not implementing. But now, Jim, some institutions have chosen to only do it for football or only do it for men's basketball as they roll it out. Is that not also correct? That's correct, yeah. We, we're seeing institutions roll it out in different ways. Um, we've seen some start with some sports and then kind of and, and formulate plans for future implementation for other sports as well. Um, so we have seen um, some different approaches there. I couldn't say definitively at this point that all 65 BCS um, autonomy conferences or autonomy institutions um, have, have committed to or not committed to the full implementation for all their sports. Um, but, I, but I do know that, that across the Division I membership, we are seeing uh, different approaches to implementing this um, for those schools that have chosen to do so. I'm going to read you a quote here, and this is uh... – from Nick Saban at Alabama, and, and this was earlier this summer, I, I guess. But it says, quote, we spent 100 years in the NCAA trying to make everything equal, so no extra benefits, nobody could get something that somebody else couldn't get. All right, now you leave it up to the institution, and I think some people have manipulated their numbers because they've significantly changed from last year to this year, end quote. And, and I bring that up because Alabama is one of the schools where the numbers significantly jumped from a year ago to this year. I'm not asking you to comment specifically on Alabama, but it, it would appear that if you leave this open to institutions that everybody whose numbers are not at the top of the conference is going to be meeting with their financial aid office saying, okay, how, how do we get our numbers up to, so that it doesn't hurt recruiting? 
Yeah, I, I think that I think there's some concern there for sure across the board that pervades this issue. With that being said, um, because this issue is tied directly to Title IV funds and giving and, and borrowing levels for all students at the institution, um, whether that for for student loans, whether that be you know uh, Stafford loans and unsubsidized loans and subsidized loans, you know that that cost of attendance figure is is impactful for every student at the institution, and so. Um, you know, if you see massive fluctuations in that or, 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 you know, a desire to try to manipulate that number for athletics, it's, it's got far-reaching consequences potentially for institutions. And so, you know, if there are adjustments that may be made at institutions, um, I think that those happen with some uh, measure of diligence and, and some understanding that uh, if we change this number, uh, it, it could have some pretty far-reaching consequences or impact for all of our students at the institution. Um, you know, I know in the case of Alabama, they had articulated uh, that they had uh, been uh, uh, calculating the transportation component, uh, maybe erroneously in the past, or maybe not as permissively as they could have, I should say, um, and so they reevaluated that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone will probably have some conversation at some point, um, although it, it, I am, it is worth noting that here at Florida State that um, you know, our number, e- even though it is relatively high compared to other institutions, has ma- remained relatively flat at least over the last five years. Um, so, you know, it, it, when we look at what we've done here, um, I, th- I think we've been on the right side of it for a long time. You know, I think there's also a recognition that some institutions are just conscious of what their number is and do benchmark it against other institutions um, in an effort to remain competitive in the global student recruitment market, not just student-athlete recruitment market, but student recruitment market. And so um, that's something that I think they remain conscious of and that institutions will have to consider uh, if they decide to re-examine where their number currently sits. I haven't seen the breakdown on how Florida State gets to its number, KJ, but it strikes me that uh, not having you know, uh, a great airport situation here <laughs> might actually have been a good thing related to cost of attendance, but go ahead with your next question. I, I'm just going to reiterate that so our listeners are clear, Jim, because there, there's, we'll say, 450 uh, student-athletes that receive some form of grant that might be eligible for this. But if the institution changes this number, then that could affect 10,000 other students and, and this is one case where athletics is not driving the bus because the, the numerical and financial impact could be huge university-wide and somewhat less significant athletics-wide. Is, is that a fair statement? I think that's completely fair. I mean, you know, one of the things that has been a little difficult as we've rolled this out is that we've really tried to remain in lockstep and take great guidance from our financial aid office. And so, you know, our, our, our coaches and our student-athletes, you know, they're accustomed to getting some – some quick answers on some things and, and leaning on us and being able to go back to the NCAA or the ACC for guidance on particular matters. But when you get into an issue like the cost of attendance scholarship, it really is driven by the financial aid office. And, um, you know, they've got the, the oversight and the autonomy in that regard. And so we really want to make sure that we're working in great partnership with them as good partners um, on this issue. And, again, I think one of the things I tell people a lot is that for, for years and years and years, you know, NCA financial aid legislation was running on one track, and federal financial aid regulations were running on a separate track. You know, and they were running side by side, but never really meshed at too many points. And now we're at a point where it's completely intertwined, and and I think there's 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 just a lot of things that now because they coexist on on the same track, um, making sure that we don't run into any issues. Um, you know, importantly from an NSA perspective, but really where the questions have come about is from a, a from a federal financial aid uh, perspective. Hey, Jim, this is highly enlightening information because I good don't th- stuff. Real I, good I, stuff. I don't think the average fan has wrapped their mind around the way this works. You know, somebody who has a, a a student that's currently at college, and you're dealing with the FAFSA and all that, and then maybe you're a little bit more connected to what the cost of attendance is. But but thank you for taking the time to to enlighten us. Yeah, happy to. And I think you guys touched on a really important point. When you were talking about transportation costs into Tallahassee, and is that this cost of attendance figure and, and these miscellaneous expenses for personal expenses and transportation, really, these monies are designed to capture actual costs. And that's one thing I keep saying to people is, you know, this isn't a pay-for-play model. This is really the athletic scholarship catching up with actual costs that have been, 
um, estimated and determined by the institution for student-athletes to attend Florida State and get an education, and not just student-athletes, but every student at the institution. And so I think that's a, an important distinction as we talk about cost of attendance is that these, these dollar figures are really designed to capture true actual costs that we anticipate every student incurring here at Florida State. All right. Well said. Thanks so much for joining us. Jim Curry, FSU's Associate Athletic Director for Compliance. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. This is, uh, that's, we've got plenty to react to when we come back. We are uh, broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. And this is the Front Row presented by Hobson Chevrolet Buick and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. KJ and I will weigh in on that when the Front Row continues after this. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Getting set for Friday night football, Florida State and Boston College uh, to ring in the weekend from Chestnut Hill, and uh, for those of you not headed to Beantown, where else or where better to watch the game than uh, Madison Social on Friday night? Uh, I'm sure many of you probably have already been there about six times with two home games. That would cover Friday, Saturday, and Sunday brunch, but uh, I know they'll have a packed house, and a, a good time as always is Friday for the game. And if you're not there or if you haven't been, you are foolish. Exactly. Tuesday night is trivia night. Wednesday night is obviously uh on Wednesday. Wednesday, so right date after night. you listen, Wednesday night. you could even make the front row part of your date night if you really so desired. I'm not sure what results you would get well, from you, that. You, but you park and then listen to us for an hour and then get out of the car and go in. Exactly. At that point, you need a cocktail from Madison Social. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's Keith. I'm Tom. Let's. Uh, Tim Linnefeld from our Seminoles.com Insider will join us next segment. We'll uh, bounce back to FSU on the field questions more. But uh, I thought that was that was uh, really good information from Jim Curry uh, about. The specifics and the mechanics and, and all involved with cost of attendance. And, and I think what we need to remember is going all the way back. I got involved in this issue during my playing career because I got married, moved out of the dorm, went off of the uh, training table, was living in Alumni Village, and the amount of money that I received uh, in compensation for giving up those things was less than the amount of money that a walk-on would pay in order to get those things. So that prompted me to start doing some investigation, and that's when I discovered things like academic scholarships. And, and I knew that academic scholarships provided a stipend. And, and therefore, for the last 30-something years, I've been talking about it's not pay-for-play. It's true cost of attendance, and athletes are actually um, – they're not allowed to work during the season, even if they wanted to, they don't have time. But even if they wanted to, they're not. They're prohibited by NCAA rule. They cannot be employed well, during the season. And if I went to school on an academic scholarship, I'm not required to work. I get 500 or $750 a month as a stipend. Why is that academic scholarship any different than an athletic grant and aid? And all we're doing now is making the two equal, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think they've relaxed the rules on whether you can or can't work during the season. But you're, the point is... No, nobody, anyway. nobody can because there's not enough time. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And for Florida State, when you when you look across the board at the numbers, the way it works out, Florida State is, at, you know, atop the ACC and one of the top schools, period, in terms of, terms of that number. What that, what that also means, though, especially because FSU chose to implement for all sports, is that FSU's budget item is as big as anybody else. I mean, I looked at a list. Uh, the next closest published in the ACC is one point three million, and that's from Virginia and Clemson. Yeah, and it, and the or list, Louisville and Clemson, Louisville and Clemson. The list I'm looking at, Wisconsin is the only other school that has estimated the new cost uh, at two million. Actually, Auburn is Auburn at two, was at two point one. Auburn's I read at two point one, but basically in terms of a budget item. But what I want to know, top, top I want to know what. Uh, legal advice, these institutions that are rolling it out in sequence, what legal advice they're getting relative to Title IX. Because, again, applauds and, and, and kudos to Florida State, uh, Wilcox and, and the Athletic Board and, and President Thrasher and the Board of Regents said, no, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it for everybody. And they budgeted for everybody, male, female, revenue generating, non-revenue generating, it doesn't matter, all 20 sports. How do you get away with only doing it for football or men's basketball? I mean, I just I don't understand the Title IX 
uh, it feels like there would it. be some significant Title IX implications. But by there, no yeah. means am I an expert on that. Uh, kudos to Florida State well, for not even being worried I, and about separate it. the Title IX, especially at a place like Florida State, which has excelled across the board. I mean, we we talk about football an awfully lot and in, in basketball and baseball, but I mean, FSU's been in the top fifteen in the Directors Cup for several years running, which is co- a comprehensive look. I mean, they're defending national champs in soccer. So separate the Title IX issues. What does that tell your other sports if you say? Yeah, we're not, you're not worth it. You're not worth the cost of attendance. You yeah. know? So Florida State's in position where they, you know, they made the right decision, in my opinion, and, and they're able to, to make it work. One other point, we'll go straight to it. How does this affect recruiting? Um, as, as an old timer, uh, I look at it and say a kid who is going to make their decision on who, where they're going to spend four or five years and get their education and play their ball, a kid that makes that decision based on a 2000 or a $3,000 differential in the full cost of attendance, uh, this is a blanket statement that's it's too harsh. I don't quite mean it as 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 um, succinctly as it will come out, but I don't want that kid on my team. If if a kid is making a decision that is so life changing, whether he goes into playing the NFL, whether he gets his degree and goes into work, whether he flunks out after two years, but he makes that decision based on a two or three thousand dollar stipend per year, I'm not sure that's the type of individual I want on my team. Now, having said that, I will acknowledge that I don't know where these kids come from. Some of these kids come from very, very um, well, strapped some, situations. Some might make the decision because they truly need to take more to send back to home, honestly, and, to, and, to be and, candid. And that's why I say I, I get that part, so I don't mean it as strongly or as, as, as no, I think meanly as it sounds. So this whole concept of how it affects recruiting, I think, is way overblown. I think that's coaches' paranoia. Uh, and we know coaches are just paranoid to begin with, so why wouldn't they be paranoid about this as well? <laughs> I think you're probably right. I mean, coaches like to control what they can control or control everything is what they like to control. So, and, and No, this, no, they, they only like to control everything. <laughs> everything else better, is an annoyance. Better said, better said. Yeah, and, and I'm sure there will be um, – I don't know that there'll be some adjustments, but this is going to be closely looked at, and, and other universities may adjust what they're doing, how they distribute the money, how many sports they fund, I mean, as we get a year or two into it. I'll tell you one, my, one last story for us old-timers. Um, one of the kids that I was most fortunate to play with uh, came in same, my same class as Ron Simmons, uh, uh, All-American in the National F- uh, Football Foundation Hall of Fame. Uh, great, great athlete. He came to school from Warner Robins, Georgia, Tommy. And he had this little red Volkswagen Beetle. He could barely get in the daggum thing. He was so big. But he had this little red Volkswagen Beetle. And had, remember the old mag wheels, the big mag wheels? And the back wheels were bigger than the front wheels. And and we came out during two-a-days one time. And somebody had jacked that Beetle up and stolen Simmons tires. So how much were they worth back then? 400, 500, 600 bucks. Okay. Do you know that car stayed on blocks until Christmas? Ronnie didn't have the money to replace the tires on his car that were stolen from him. And that car stayed on blocks in Coble Terrace until Christmas when he got Christmas money and was able to buy new tires. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, and that's, that's, that's an all American. Yeah, and that's also a side that uh, we don't necessarily see. Uh, but that's a, that's a good story. But just we'll finish this conversation. We'll get back to FSU just because we asked Jim Curry about it in terms of Alabama's cost of attendance. Their in-state cost of attendance jumped twenty and a half percent last year to this year, and their out-of-state um, rose thirty-nine point two percent last year to this year. And and the explanation was exactly what Jim offered in terms of them. Uh, you know, recalibrating their transportation costs for the most part because they but it is under one of those, it, it is one of those things that makes you go hmm right. Right, exactly right. All right. Uh, the first half offensive display by the Florida State football team is another one of those things that makes you go, mm. yes, exactly. Tim Linnefeld, however, has all the answers, uh, or so he has told us. So we will get to him, and he will explain exactly why it happened and how Florida State will fix it. That's when we continue on the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Time now for our Seminoles.com Insider Report, which means Tim Linnefelt joins us. Seminoles.com, of course, 
is where you can catch Jimbo Fisher's Monday press conference uh, on the live stream via your phone, tablet, old school fashion like KJ on your desktop. That's uh, Mondays at 1. Of course, home games, you can catch his uh, press conference immediately following games. Comprehensive coverage of all Florida State sports, not just uh, FSU football. And uh, the same can be said for Tim. He covers everything, not just football. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great, Tom. How about yourself? Good, good. Looking forward to uh, a good time in Boston, hopefully, this week. Always a a good trip. For all the knocks about uh, ACC versus SEC, one thing we never really get into is there's a lot better cities to visit on the ACC circuit. Oh, yeah, man. The uh, the road trips are all pretty fantastic, usually, uh, you know, between Boston. I, I think of Clemson as, as kind of an, an SEC atmosphere. I enjoy the, the Triangle area, North Carolina, Miami, Atlanta. Yeah, they're all usually pretty fun. Louisville. you got to throw Louisville in the mix now. Yeah, yeah, time. yeah. I had a great time at Louisville last year. I forgot about that one. Yeah, there we go. All right, we won't uh, concentrate on the travel aspects of it. KJ. We can do our road trip. Do you have anything to add there, KJ? I, as you can tell, I very rarely miss a meal, so culinary aspects of any away game are very uh, important. All right, let's talk uh, about what everybody's been talking about this week, Tim, and that is uh, the offense failed to show up until about one thirty in the afternoon when uh, we came out of the tunnel for, for the second half. So uh, your, your, your thoughts, observations, I mean, you've heard Jimbo, it's been, it's been discussed, and the, the, the finger's been pointed to you know, basically all 11 guys on the field at separate times, not just to the, to the quarterback, but uh, what, what do you have to add to that? Uh, I think it's a, a pretty good thing that you have old number four in the backfield. Uh, that's kind of the reason that you have guys like that, and that's what what, uh, what Jimbo Fisher I thought you know was kind of interestingly said uh, after the game. That's that's what you have good players for. That's why you recruit like that. And look, obviously, that's you know not a not a perfect scenario, not ideal necessarily, and it's not the uh, the blueprint that Florida State wants to follow. But at least you know for one week to have a guy that can carry the load like that, I, I think was uh, was all right, but. Uh, the flip side of that is, you know, the offensive line. I think we saw, uh, you know, had some hiccups. Everett Golson, uh, as a, as a result of that, I think had some hiccups. And, and you're going up to Boston College to face a defense that's probably as good, if not better, than uh, than than USF through two weeks. Uh, I think Tom, you pointed out, already has the number one ranked rush defense. Now they're, you know, it should should be uh, uh, other opponents uh, who they played should be accounted for, but uh, but you know, still they can stop the run. So uh, it should be an interesting test. You know, yeah, they're they're number one against the run, and and you know this year they haven't played uh, world beaters per se, but you know last year they were very tough against the run too. So I don't think you can just, I mean, if you if you're going to say that, that well discount it because they've played Maine and Howard, then you could say well discount Dalvin Cook as a good running back because FSU's played USF and Texas State. I mean, you could make the argument that way. But that said, before we get onto how we fix these problems, Keith, you and I haven't devoted much time at all to discussing Dalvin's performance and just how good it was. I'll ask you first, because you've been around these parts for a while. I mean, where does that rank for you? Uh, well, obviously, it's the second best all-time statistically. Uh, 266 yards. I think uh, um, Greg had, what, 322 uh, the year after I left, 81. Uh, Greg Allen. Uh, the thing that impressed me, and, and Tim, I'd be interested uh, if you heard any of the coaches relaying it, but the, the statistic that I heard, that uh, most impressed me is that on his 30 rushes, he was only brought down one time by the first man that hit him. And we talk about yards after the catch for receivers, and the new one is yards after contact for running backs. So 30 carries, 29 times the first man that hit him did not tackle him. That, that is an unbelievable statistic. Tim, have you heard the same or anything to embellish on that? I haven't heard it. Haven't heard it yet. That's definitely something that I that I want to follow up on this week. But just looking at the game, it's definitely not hard to wrap your mind around it. And I just don't know. I don't know that it's possible to bring him down one on one. He's he's too strong for a for a defensive back out on the edge, and he's too speedy and shifty for a linebacker. I mean, it's, you saw it on Saturday. It's, it's it's virtually impossible, I think, for one guy just to. To bring him down, uh, you know, like save for maybe a, a busted play in the backfield. I think there was one, if, if I remember correctly, where it just didn't develop uh, in a short yardage situation. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, he's just he's he's everything you want in a running back. I think in that he has the has the vision, has the speed, has the strength, and a lot of guys have one of those things, and a lot of guys have two of those things, but not very many have all three, and, and he definitely does. Well, and there's a fourth thing that he brings to the table that that uh, can't be underestimated, and and that's. The other nine guys will discount Colson because most of the time he's not blocking for him. But the other nine guys know that that their block may be the last block that springs him. And, and I'm telling you, 
spending time with offensive linemen, uh, they're, they're a different breed in how they think and how they get along and what they do. But there is nothing that, that gets them more juiced up than the prospect of, of a back taking it to the house. And, and just the mere note that he's in the backfield, it's a run and play or the ball may get to him, amps up those five guys up front. It amps up the wide receivers. I mean, you can't underestimate how much additional adrenaline just him being there because he can do those things creates for this offense. Oh, sure. And, you know, how many, how many teams uh, in the country have linemen who can, can line up and say, you know, on any given play, we, we might score on this play because he might. I mean, he's, he's literally a threat to score uh, from virtually anywhere on the field. And, and to take it a step further, uh, beyond just the line, we've seen it with the receivers too. I mean, how many years has, uh, has Jimbo Fisher been, been preaching how important it is uh, to get the receivers to block, and some years they've done it, and some years they haven't. Well, this year uh, it seems like they're really getting involved with it. You saw it uh, on on Dalvin's seventy four yard run. Yeah, Lane uh, came out of nowhere. Touchdown. No, he did. He, Lane came out of nowhere. If, if you're watching the replay on TV, uh, the, the run's almost over, and all of a sudden here comes number fifteen, Travis Rudolph, just flying into the picture, uh, laying out a guy uh, for a block that you know maybe that guy would have brought down Dalvin Cook, maybe he wouldn't have, but he never had a chance to. Uh, and that's what you know. You see guys just sprinting 30, 40 yards down the field to finish off their blocks or find new blocks, uh, and it's, uh, it's it's been pretty impressive to see. And the analogy, Tim, and you know this is is the same thing we talked about with Jameis last year because he would go to the th- third or fourth receiver easily in his progression. Everybody ran their routes full speed because you didn't know when the ball was or wasn't coming to you. It's the same concept that that now the running attack is bringing to this offense, in my opinion. No, I, I agree completely, and, and now the hope, obviously, is that that does a little bit more to, uh, to open up the passing game uh, in the future, which is what, uh, talking to Bobo Wilson uh, after the game, he said that's, that's the idea, is, is when the running game's clicking, uh, now we can get the, uh, the passing game a little bit more in sync. Well, and the passing game was clearly out of sync at the start, so I'll go to the glasses half empty now that we've done the glasses half full conversation. How much concern do you have, first of all, about the offensive line based on what you saw last week? Well, it's, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we just got finished talking about what was the, the second best rushing performance in school history statistically. And, you know, factoring in uh, modern opponents and, and, and modern defenses and all that, you could probably make the case that 35 years later is the best rushing performance in school history. So, so at that point, how bad can the offensive line really be? Uh, but at the same time, uh, no, there's, there's no question that they, uh, they struggled with, uh, with some of what USF was doing. Uh, a lot of those guys. I uh, said that you know the the stunning on the defensive line caused them a lot of problems that they just just weren't quite prepared for, weren't quite picking up, and uh, and I think that trickled all the way back to Everett Golson. Uh, you could see, especially in that first half, he just did not look comfortable. He looked just kind of stressed out. You know, I don't think he was nervous, but he just looked like a guy who had defensive linemen in his face uh, for the entire. He, the he looked half. like a guy that had walked into a psychology class at eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning having forgotten that exam number one was being administered during that time frame. <laughs> or maybe looking for a different class. I, I don't know, but it was uh, – Well, I, right. well no, I, I, yeah, I would pick up on that, though, Tim. I, I mean, uh, missed blocks, missed assignments, or, 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 you know, poor execution was part of the issue. But I think – but, 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 but it was communication. It was absolutely communication. communication. But I, I'm wondering how much of that look, though, was – you know, just not grasping everything that Jimbo wants him to do or not processing quick enough, which obviously we're pretty spoiled in that regard based on the last couple of years here. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And, and look, I don't want to put all of it on the offensive line either. There are some throws that he missed, some short throws that were missed, uh, some swings uh, out of the backfield and some uh, some screen passes that were off target. And then you had a couple drops from, uh, from some of your receivers as well. So I think everybody kind of shared a little bit of it. But, you know, I, and if you ask me to, to finally answer your question from before, uh, yeah, a little bit concerned, especially because I think they're going to face tougher defenses this year. But you know, take it back a little bit. I, I don't think that they were. Nece- I don't think the passing game is necessarily as good and crisp as it looked in that second half against Texas State. I don't think it's necessarily as bad as it looked uh, in that first half against USF. You, know, you like to think somewhere in between, and you like to think that they're going to keep uh, getting better and better. And and so uh, this is kind of an off half, man. It was just weird all around. A weird start. The weather was bad. The the morning kick kind of I think threw off the routine a little bit uh you know I think there are definitely some things that need to be improved on but you know you, you like to think one week that you could maybe chalk it up to a uh, just a, an off day and move forward 
you just went with my mantra, which is the truth is always somewhere in the middle. It's never as good as it seems or as bad as it seems. So I, I would tend to agree with you there. Let's talk defense in our in our last couple of minutes here. Uh, you know, last week, uh, Gio was the big story in terms of revitalizing himself. And this week, it seems like, all, not that he's revitalizing because he's young, but Hoskins is the new guy that, uh, uh, you know, if you listen to Jimbo, it seems like he's going to get an awfully lot of reps going forward. Jimbo really likes him as a guy that plays well in space. Yeah, no, for sure, uh, and and that was kind of surprising to me. He was a guy that, that we didn't really hear his name uh, too much in fall camp. I think we spent so much time focusing on the seniors and uh, Reggie Northrop and uh, and Terrence Smith. But, but yeah, just having that guy to to be able to make those plays in in uh, a situation where you know Florida State's going to see a lot of a lot of fast moving offenses, a lot of spread offenses, and if a guy like Roderick Hoskins or or Tyrell Lyons, you know, maybe not not quite as big as your your linebackers of twenty and thirty years ago, twenty and thirty years ago, but can uh, can move maybe a little bit better and, and still be pretty sound with their tackling. Uh, that's that's a big deal, especially you know how how many times did we talk this summer about Florida State's linebacker depth and, and and lack of line depth, lack linebacker depth, and what would happen if one of Smith or Northrop went down? Well, you know, having you know uh, someone like like Roderick Hoskins be able to step in there, uh, that's one of those sort of pleasant surprises that you hope are going to happen, uh, but you never quite know until they do. Uh, played a lot of young kids on on both sides, but on defensively, uh, who who are some of the other kids? I know we Derwin got in there and 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 uh, Sweat was in there, uh, but uh, who else are the coaches talking that you know might get some additional playing time based on their performance through a couple of contests? Well, I, I think uh, not, not not to piggyback too much, but I think you're uh, you hit the nail mostly on, on those two guys, especially uh, Josh Sweat. I think he just looks fantastic out there, and and, and really um, it's it's remarkable. Uh, for him to come back from that injury that he had, and we talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. Uh, they were talking him up all, all in fall camp, but it's hard to ever really know what to expect out of a guy until you see him in a game, and just his burst off the edge uh, just looks, uh, I mean, next level, at least next level potential as far as how fast he gets off the line and into the backfield. So I, you saw him a lot in the first two weeks. I think you're going to see him a lot moving forward. Uh, the same goes for Derwin James, who, uh, again, it's just a matter of, uh, of I think, getting him in the right position and learning everything. We still saw, you know, when, when LaMarcus Brutus went out, they still went to Tyler Hunter and, and Trey Marshall guys who had been there and, and, and used uh, Derwin a little more sparingly. I think they really like those young guys uh, on third downs, especially third and long, pass rush, aggressive type situations where, where maybe you don't have to, uh, to, to understand the ins and outs of the playbook so much as you can just sort of pin your ears back and get after it. Uh, one last time, we'll pile on the offensive line. I did find it uh, interesting uh, that early in the year, we already know that Coach Trickett uh, is in midseason form because he was uh, waxing eloquently uh, in between series during that first half. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was obvious where I was sitting. Yeah, no, you could uh, you could see it, and hey, that's uh, that's what's going to happen. I, I I laughed though; it was funny. I I did. We talked to Roderick Johnson after the game, and and asked him about you know what was that conversation like, and he said, "Oh no, Coach Trick is just just pointing out some schemes and some technique things that we needed to clean up. Nothing big." And I was like, "Oh, well, okay then." Yeah, yeah. Well, they better be used to it because it might continue. <laughs> I think, by the way, he's not in midseason form. That's just how he functions. That may be true, too. I may be selling him short. I may be selling him short. All right, last thought. So a couple years ago, Florida State went up to B.C., and really it was the game that changed the landscape of the 2013 season uh, in terms of coming from behind. B.C. had... BC showed looks that were nowhere on tape in that game and really caught Florida State off guard, and they will have had the opportunity to prepare in the same way based on who they've played early on. I guess the good news is Florida State already got beat on the throwback a couple times this past week, so they certainly will emphasize that going forward. But what do you expect to happen on Friday night, Tim? I think it's going to be a tough game. I think Florida State should expect to win, but even even without the knowledge of how these first two games win, I sort of had this one circled as a a pretty early uh, early barometer of where things stood. It's your first game on the road with a team that's extremely young, uh, both on offense and in some key areas on defense. It's a Friday night, which is just weird uh, and throws off your routine. Uh, the, you know, the practice routine this week has been a little different. You do a walkthrough on Sunday. Monday uh, served as like a Monday-Tuesday hybrid practice and so on and so forth. So uh, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the, how the young guys respond to that, how the, the guys who are in – in you know prime time positions for a deal with with the changes for the first time and then you know it's going to come back to those lines you know boston college always has you know giant 350 pound guys named joe on both lines that kind of make life miserable for you uh and, and they're gonna to have to be able to deal with that i think it'll be a little bit tougher for dalvin cook to run although that's uh, that seems like a pretty bold prediction in the face of what he just did and and uh for state the passing game it, it, it might have to be a whole lot better than it was on saturday but it's definitely gonna to have to be better
All right, great stuff as always, Tim. See you uh, on the road. Thanks, Tom. We'll see you there. All right, that is Tim Linefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Of course, Seminoles.com, your home for Jimbo Fisher's postgame press conferences following every home game. Streams live there also for his Monday press conferences and for a complete total coverage, not just uh, game stories, but the highlights and features as well. Seminoles.com, the place to go. Final thoughts coming up momentarily with Keith and Tom. We'll do that uh, right after this. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. FSU and Boston College coming up Friday night in our closing couple of minutes here, KJ. Your general thoughts, predictions, uh, it's, I'm ramblings. The surprising uh, how, how much Tim and I are beginning to think alike because just like him, this was the game uh, when I was asked when the schedule first came out that I was most concerned about. It wasn't Clemson. It wasn't Miami or Florida. It wasn't Louisville. It was Boston College on a Friday night, third game of the season. This is a much improved Boston College program. Seminole fans just got to get used to that. What Adizio's doing up there is building back to what was there. Florida State has never really excelled at at Alumni Stadium in 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 in, in, in at Boston College. They've just always struggled up there. There's always a chance of weather, even this time of year. It might be a little cool, and I know you'd say you appreciate that, but if it's in the 40s. You know, that's different than being in the 70s. Don't know what the weather forecast is. I haven't looked for it. I just think this is a game that, that Florida State is going to struggle in. It's a game that, as Tim said, that they should win, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. If it is, then I think the uh, ceiling for this 2015 squad goes up quite a bit. Uh, but I think they go up there to uh, to BC and, and uh, really have to dogfight to get a win out of it. Yeah, I think that perfectly encapsulates what the BC-FSU series has been over the years. Florida State has won at times where you thought BC would, i.e. when they had Matt Ryan there. And then BC's come down and Florida State just couldn't move their their big, fat defensive tackles out of the way to save their life, quite frankly. so I think they might be offended with that, Mr. Block. Well, I, you know... By the and way, and if B.J. Raji was here, I would definitely be running. Hopefully uh, I could outrun good. him, and I probably couldn't. And by the way, if my memory serves, people are asking, has Florida State ever played on a Friday? Uh, obviously, I'm sure there's bowl games that have played on a Friday. But if memory serves, I think Florida State and Florida played on a Friday after Thanksgiving uh, about 35 or so years ago. Uh, in fact, I think it was my freshman year. I did not dress, did not play that game, and I may be wrong. I should have gone back and looked at it, but I believe there has been at least one other time when Florida State has played a regular season game on a Friday. All right, well, we've got all next week. We've got a full week to, to do the, the diligence on that and find out uh, if your memory is anywhere close to correct. That's what we've got Tom Lang for. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. This is The Front Row. We'll talk to you again next week. Night.